It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to the A24 Project here on the Nerd Party Network, the only podcast to take you through the back catalogue of A24, review the latest releases and bring you interviews with the cast and crew behind these movies. At our first show of 2024, we take a trip to Heartbreak Hotel with Sofia Coppola's Priscilla which explores the complicated courtship of Priscilla by Elvis Presley. I'm Dallas King, and with me is the Elvis to my Colonel Tom Parker, in that he's white. It's Lee Hutchison. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to, to you and everyone as well. I think we've got an exciting exciting few months ahead. But yeah, I, I haven't seen that Elvis film yet. I own it, and I keep meaning to kind of get round to watching it. But if I can tell anyone that I've seen a clip, I have seen that it's white clip. So when I was th- when kind of they mentioned this this colonel in the film, I was like, "That's the it's white Tom Hanks guy." So I I will definitely have to bump up watching Elvis in the coming weeks now after having seen Priscilla anyway. Indeed, that uh, will indeed actually change the slight running order of the discussion then. <laughs> but um, you know, it's been uh, it's been a fairly quiet festive season for us. But you know, in in terms of releases um but we're gearing up for february uh because the uk will finally get uh, the iron claw and the zone of interest and we'll also look to take off the blind spots on our resume which are showing up earth mama and medusa deluxe which one or either of us have seen at some point but still need to get around to actually reviewing so but before we get to the main event have a24 dropped any big news while we've been away well the answer is yes including just a couple of minutes ago, as Lee tagged me in a tweet. So first up, I guess the biggest news over um, the last couple of weeks is that A24 are probably going, I'd say, all in on what would certainly be their biggest production yet. Um, I believe technically their biggest production budget at the moment is still around $70 million for Bo is Afraid. Um, But in terms of popularity and just the sort of scale and scope of what they're attempting to do. Uh, they have partnered um, with video game uh, engineer uh, Hideo Kojima to produce an adaptation of Death Stranding, a very, very popular video game. So when this news broke, along with the option to buy an official A24 t-shirt uh, based on it, so you know, you know they're all in at this point, um, this was huge news because, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of companies sort of battling to get the rights for this. But the fact that someone like, you know, for what, certainly up until for the first sort of 10, 11 years of their existence, have been considered the small sort of independent uh, distributor and producer. Um, this, you know, we were talking probably at the end of 2023 about how what did the future hold for A24? There was talks about getting into IPs, about like Halloween, you know, they have the rights for the Camp Crystal Lake TV series and stuff like that. But this is probably their biggest IP yet. What did you make of this news? Yeah, uh, like you, I wasn't too surprised that we kind of were starting to get these this IP news. I guess one of the ones that was a kind of inclination it was maybe heading in these sorts of ways was when we we last spoke we we kind of heard that there's going to be more maybe emphasis on sort of ips and and bigger budgeted movies and so on and we debated well what form does something like that take and i remembered maybe like just sort of before this one they kind of announced that that if you've passed through an airport or train station recently there's been that kind of official biography um of sort of elon musk and so on that's out there and there was talk that darren aronofsky is going to do that and you're like okay interesting i wonder if this is kind of going down that way of you know we're optioning this kind of quote-unquote blockbuster style book and so on and doing something that could be kind of a steve Jobs style oscar kind of push and so on a controversial figure it's going to get attention generate clicks and so on so i kind of starting to think oh that's the kind of first inclination of them moving into this and then you get something like this on the complete other side where i mean it meant nothing to me really outside of video game big budget you know 
you know, I've heard kind of, I did a bit of research into these kind of games and people often talk about them as being quite cinematic and, you know, it feels like a natural bedfellow to kind of turn this into a film, but I have no idea what to expect from, from something like this. And it'll be curious to see the budget because, as you were saying, you know, Bo is Afraid is, is was apparently the, the biggest one with 70 million. But then I saw sort of recently that actually it's Civil War and that's at 50 million. So it feels like there's a lot of unknowns going on just now behind sort of where they're spending their, their monies and so on. And probably maybe 50 million on something like Civil War might be a better return than 70 million on Bo is Afraid. It's, it's hard to know what's what at the moment. Well, well, we'll get on to the Civil War <laughs> debate uh, in, a, in a second. But, I mean, this... I mean, I'm just sort of reading the article here up in front of me, and Kojima seems to be all in on A24. His statement was, A24 was born into this world about 10 years ago. Their presence is singular within the industry. They are like no other. The films they are delivering to the world are high in quality and very innovative. Clearly hasn't watched the entire back catalogue. But I've been attracted to their creations, and they have even inspired my own work. Their innovative approach to storytelling aligns with what we are doing for the last eight years. Now we're making a movie together. There is a lot of game adaptations out there, but what we are creating is not a direct translation of the game. The intention is for the audience to not only be fans of the games, but for our film to be for anyone who loves cinema. We are creating a Death Stranding universe that has never been seen before, achievable only through the medium of the film. So, yeah, it sounds like probably for the best, maybe not a direct adaptation of a video game, but um, a sort of expansion uh, into the wider world. and it'd be interesting to see if the stars of the video game, um, in- including Norman Reedus, Madden Nicholson, Leah Sido, and Margaret Qualley, come back for this. Um, because, you know, they're all sort of scanned and sort of, you know, appear sort of... The, the characters appear in the form of, of those actors, so it'd be interesting to see if they come back. Um, no director has been announced yet, but um, I expect we'll get something in the new year. So, yeah, interesting times ahead for, for A24. And, yeah, so I guess allows them to tackle um, another new market as well. So, um, But you talked there about um, Civil War and um, just over sort of the Christmas week, we got two trailers. Um, we got trailers for Civil War, which is um, directed by Alex Garland, and also one for Love Lies Bleeding, which is a new film from Rose Glass, who did The Incredible Saint Maud, which was also distributed by A24. Both of those films will be out in April, and... It was sort of hinted there that um, before the thing that you haven't have you seen the, either of these trailers? I know that you like to uh, keep your powder dry and avoid them if possible. I guess it's easier when they're just out on the internet at the moment. Yeah, I've I've avoided them, and it's one of those ones. I'm so I'm so curious about civil wars, like a concept, and what Alex Garland's going to to do with something like this. I can't quite visualize what way he's going to to do this is this going to be something that's big and sweeping is this going to be sort of more of an intimate drama amidst the backdrop of war i don't really know so i'm quite i'm quite curious and excited about that one and yeah likewise like we've discussed it saint maud is one of my favorite a24 films and i can't wait to see what she follows that up with especially with the cast of someone like Kristen Stewart as well but i've avoided that one for for now and so on but yeah i think it's going to if I can avoid them long enough, I think I'm going to be be richly rewarded. But I'm so so curious about the, these kind of their next A twenty four films. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, no spoilers, but it's Love Lies Bleeding. You know, you'll have seen the synopsis, and it it certainly plays out that way. But the this looks like a very different type of film to Saint Maud, but very i'm not even going to say any more than that it just looks like a very different type of films but i'm still looks very excited to see it and civil war even though you maybe didn't watch the trailer you might have seen some of the discourse uh on the internet fallout from that and it was very interesting to me i watched the trailer and was immediately taken back by going wow this looks like a24's first blockbuster um it was full of action however knowing how a24 in the past have marketed certain horror films um who knows perhaps all the exciting action bits were shown in the trailer and the rest of it is like you say a rather more sort of small scale sort of debate over 
American politics, <laughs> and they're just using the trailer to bring people in. However, what was clearly, I mean, this in this in the film there is a civil war where it sounds like the states of Texas and California have seceded from the United States. I mean, the fact that those two states are working together is enough, you know, to to start any sort of political debate. But the fact is that there were two types of reaction to this trailer. One was, oh my god, this looks amazing, I can't wait to see it. And the other one was, this is an incredibly, potentially dangerous and inflammatory film which we do not need right now. And of course, it was basically, if you looked at the people saying each statement, there was basically international critics who were like, wow, this looks fantastic. And then there were American critics who were like, hmm, I'm not too sure about this, Alex. So, um, I mean, what did you make of the discourse? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as much as I've dodged the trailer, that little bit about sort of California and Texas kind of broke through. And truth be told, I mean, it didn't really bother me. Like, I'd seen sort of the justification was, you know, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, this might be something that's said in the trailer or just speculation was that sort of Texas and California are kind of two huge sort of tech hubs and that's sort of where they kind of partner together. So it's maybe sort of more kind of a kind of capitalist connection um, for, for seceding there. And it kind of makes sense. You know, often you hear it sort of when it comes to, to politics and so on. You know, California has such a huge kind of financial infrastructure. You know, it's bigger than a lot of countries on the planet. Like, they could secede and sort of still kind of keep on going. So I and think Texas some has of... the oil, I guess. So. Exactly. So stuff like that kind of makes sense to, to me and so on. I mean, when I'm watching these things, I'm not necessarily expecting it to be, you know, full on nuanced with like the inner connections on something like that. And I actually think it's going to make a really good double bill with, do you remember Boy State, Dallas? We reviewed that on Apple TV Plus where... I did it, I remember what they had it where it was like a kind of model sort of American Texas government or something like that and the whole thing was someone went to, was pitching that oh Texas should secede from sort of America and there was the whole debate and discussion around that so you know definitely it's definitely got an A24 connection there so I'm really curious to, to definitely see this one and you know if people are saying something's not necessarily needed especially politically I tend to think that actually means it should be I mean I appreciate why people especially in an election year will be traumatized enough as it is in America where kind of the the fate of the western world hangs hangs again by the the balance and so on but I think it's going to be a, a very interesting watch and so on I'm Alex Garland I know men was a bit more missed than hit for some people but He's always a filmmaker and a writer that's had me interested, so I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah, I mean, he's, yes, he is, I think, quite a divisive filmmaker. Yeah, certain, you know, men, it had a lot to say. Um, whether it said it in the right way, who knows? Uh, but I mean, he's, he, he, of course, also produced uh, the incredibly underrated for me, uh, Annihilation. Um, and that sort of showcased some of his sort of uh, sci fi sort of. Um, so action credentials so yeah i'm very excited to see what this is i mean the cast you've got nick offerman as the president of the united states you've got kirsten dunst and you've got jesse plemons uh in there as well you know three civil wars for the price of one how can that be profitable for america i guess we'll find out um but actually on a side note there you mentioned boys state and i know that this is not uh as far as i'm aware being distributed by a24 but did you know that there is a girl state documentary coming out where basically they've gone through the same process but um with uh, girls instead of boys uh doing the same camp <laughs> i think i heard that hinted at a couple of years ago because people were like where's girl state and people were like oh girl state does think, exist and so I on think i think it might i think i did i i think i read it because i think it might have been in the lineup for sundance so yeah it might be being screened at sundance later on this month i think i think that's Wonder probably where i read it so yeah I wonder what A24 future film they're going to pitch that in a few years' time will be like, <laughs> remember Girls' States? <laughs> An entire, basically, men are wiped out and women rule everything in America. <laughs> that will really annoy some people, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'll annoy the right people as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, final bit of news. Um, actually, no, sorry, there was two bit, bits of news. One bit of news that you... Um, just uh, sent me just before that is that from uh, Anna de Armas updates on Twitter states that Anna de Armas will star as twins in an A24 fantasy epic from director Nicholas Ash Bateman, uh, but with being executive produced by David Lowry, who has obviously done 
um, A24 stuff in the past, including The Green Knight and, of course, one of our favourites of all time, A Ghost Story. Um, So you just dropped this news to me. What did you make of it? Yeah, I saw it hinted at yesterday, and yeah, I'm curious. Like, I really love the kind of the fantasy element of the Green Knight and so on. It's not a genre I tend to be drawn towards. But it is a Christmas film. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is a christmas film and it was quite good to see it over a kind of couple of the, the kind of i think it was the glasgow film theater was showing that as part of their christmas season i think that's the second year in a row that's kind of happened as well so it's definitely becoming a bit of a staple of these indie cinemas which is a good sign but yeah i'm curious to see kind of i think we've got a couple of really interesting films on the horizon involving david lyrie i think his next film is again one i'm trying to keep myself kind of a bit surprised by is sort of like a kind of about a, a band or music or something like that and um, kind of maybe similar in the vein to something like her smells for a24 so again that's one i'm very excited for so yeah curious to see what he does with the, the fantasy genre again hopefully it's more green knight than than peter pan and wendy well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But the final bit of news. Um, now, obviously, I was very excited uh, about one of the upcoming releases being the Iron Claw because I was going to be getting to talk about two of my favourite things in the world, A24, and then it meeting the world wrestling. However, possibly even greater than that as a, as a crossover for me is the news that came out uh, just towards the end of December that Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be starring in a biopic of UFC fighter Mark Kerr to be directed by Benny Safdie. So Safdie is obviously one of the reasons that I got into A24. Like Good Time was one of the sort of first films in 2017, 2018, that I started to recognise the logo along with films like First Reformed and Hereditary. And of course they did, you know, the amazing Uncut Gems as well. So the fact that The Rock... You know, we just talked about, you know, um, on our, one of our previous episodes there, but it had taken, you know, 13 years for Nicolas Cage uh, to finally appear in an A24 film. We're finally going to get The Rock appearing in an A24 film. And I think it's safe to say that this is a few worlds away from his typical family-friendly blockbuster fare and potentially more in line with something like his performance in dare I say it, Southland Tales. Yeah, Pain and Gain maybe as well. And yeah, this one, I'm, I'm really... It's one of those ones... I. I don't know if you've had the the chance yet. I'm certainly making my way slowly through it. We're trying to savour it. But me and my partner are watching uh, Benny Safdie in The Curse just now and absolutely loving loving it. And um, yeah, it's been interesting to kind of see the news. Like I think probably something we've kind of noticed but maybe not really kind of clicked to is sort of Benny and Josh Safdie kind of becoming a bit more sort of Benny Safty and so on and sort of they're doing the Coen brothers aren't they they're sort of quietly uh, separating and doing working on their own projects yeah there seems to have been a bit of tension there I saw that sort of Adam Sandler has fallen out with I think it said like sort of I think I was drawn in by the headline oh uh Josh Adam Sandler falls out with Josh Safdie. I was like, oh my God, what's happened with them and the Safdie brothers? And then it sort of dived into kind of talking about how sort of the two seem to be going their their kind of separate ways, which is a, a real shame. But you know, in terms of Benny Safdie, I mean, for someone that really just started acting in 2017, you know, what you kind of see his career continuing to go with, obviously Good Time and Uncut Gems, which we've, we've spoken about so much, but, you know, he's worked with some amazing directors in that time. And I say I'm absolutely yeah, loving the, the curse. I don't know what you're piece. thinking of it. Uh, I've only watched the first episode. Um, I just I haven't really, even though I've been off for the last couple of weeks, I just haven't had the time to. It's a tough one to sit I'm down going, and watch, isn't I, it? I, I think yeah, it's it's like oh, this is. Mm. So I'm almost. I think I'm going to wait until all the episodes are available, and then I'll, I'll sort of get into it, and then yeah, get through. But it was the first episode was like, all right, okay. Uh, I mean, I'd heard it was a tough watch it's like very very unique television in the way that it portrays its characters and stuff like that but i'm very very interested to see where this is going to go but i mean it it sort of does cap off quite a fantastic year for for benny you know he um started off the year in the obi-wan kenobi 
series. Um, very, very well done on remembering that was a TV show that came out last year. That yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, there was that, and then you had um, supporting performances in the likes of uh, "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," and then of course uh, Oppenheimer as well. So you know, he's really, I guess, been focusing on the the acting side of things this year but uh it's great that he's going to be getting back into the uh the director's chair um hopefully the safties will be able to, to come back and work on a project but i mean it hasn't really hurt the coen brothers you know they've managed to do their own thing um they'll probably still always be known as the safty brothers but actually i guess i did notice there was a bit more separation on twitter wasn't there yeah who knows who knows what's happened there if anyone does give us a shit <laughs> But anyway, time for the main event, uh, which is Priscilla, of course, uh, the big release, uh, which is in been which is was been in cinemas in the US for uh, a few weeks already, and is now out in UK cinemas. And it has been written and directed by Sofia Coppola, based on the memoir Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley. Stars Kaylee Spaney and the Volpa Cup Best Actress winning performance at the Venice Film Festival as Priscilla, and Jacob Elordi, the man of the moment, as Elvis Presley. When teenager Priscilla Willow meets Elvis Presley during his military secondment in Germany, the man is already a meteoric rock and roll superstar, but becomes someone else in private moments, a thrilling crush, an ally in loneliness, and a vulnerable best friend. Through Priscilla's eyes, Sophia Coppola tells the unseen side of the great American myth in Elvis and Priscilla's long courtship and turbulent marriage in this portrait of love, fantasy, and fame. So, we... I mean, I imagine that you were looking forward to this. I know that you're a Sofia Coppola fan. Um, you had to wait longer than me. I was lucky enough to see it at the Venice Film Festival, but you were able to catch it just a couple of days ago, I think, uh, on a 35mm print, which I imagine, given what I know of the film and having seen it, I think it would have suited the film perfectly. Yeah, it was the best way to, to watch that that film and so on. It really brought kind of this period piece to, to life and so on. And I was watching it in sort of a kind of independent cinema and just being able to just sort of just sit there and kind of watch it in those kind of like, you know, you've got the curtains, you've got the kind of the pillars, you know, it's felt like a, a just a really authentic way to sort of watch a film that felt like it was sort of pulled from from a different era, even just listening to kind of the, the sound design and so on. I was so glad we got the, the opportunity and privilege really to, to see the 35mm print. And yeah, it's been one I've been waiting for for a while, actually. As you mentioned, I, I really do love Sofia Coppola's work. You know, she obviously has some films I like a little bit less, but I'm always curious to to see it and i've seen every film of hers at the cinema since seeing lost in translation way back when in the, the early 2000s and virgin suicides got a nice re-release a few months ago so i think i've oddly enough seen that one numerous times over the years and in cinemas and so on and i got the lovely sophia coppola archives book so had a good read through that but kind of stopped at the uh, the priscilla section so but it'd been weird kind of the build-up to this film in the uk as you mentioned We've had quite a bit of a wait behind, so Mubi obviously choosing to release this sort of again, the tail end of kind of Christmas into to the new year and sort of that classic UK, that's when the prestige pictures come out and we have to wait months after everything. I mean, it, it was even out on digital to buy um, in the week before, but the trailers had been really weird. I don't know if you'd seen some of it, but it had got really good representation in sort of like the kind of multiplexes and local indie cinemas of sort of having this like at most 40 second little trailer where it was just sort of just showing some just little images and flashes of things to come and you're like okay that's that's interesting it's it felt like more of one of these things you sometimes see at the beginning of a youtube trailer before the main trailer but in the past week it seemed to upgrade from the 40 second trailer into a bit more of a, a traditional trailer it was a, a really weird one i don't know if you've noticed that as well um i think I don't think I actually did notice that, to be fair. I mean, I think it did, yeah, there was this short one. I think it was almost like, certainly sort of my, well, since I only have a multiplex at the moment, yeah, I don't know if there was maybe slightly different marketing depending on where you were watching them. But, yeah, there was that sort of short one that sort of showed the um, sort of the emphasis on sort of hair, makeup, dresses and stuff like that. And then one that sort of did the fuller 
Um, I guess maybe once they sort of knew they were definitely going to be screening it, because I think it was still, given it was movie, it was probably still a, a slightly limited release, certainly in probably the sort of chain cinemas. You probably would have been able to find it at pretty much every sort of Curzon, Picture House, etc. But the chains were maybe a slightly like, oh, do we take it? Do we not? Um, because obviously you know it's it's not gonna it's not gonna have that mass breakout appeal that Elvis did last year because you know one it's considered present. I mean I'm sure someone you know if it wasn't movie if it was a maybe a, a bigger studio that had done this they might have played up the Elvis aspect to try and get people in but then I think they would have quickly realized they were being missold that film um although I think there's a discussion to be had on on the sort of the production side of it, because I was lucky enough to um to see it in London on a preview with uh, a Q and A with Sophia Coppola, and she actually talked. It's it's incredible that you know a filmmaker of Sophia Coppola's standing, who has won an Academy Award, who's won you know Best Film at Venice and stuff like that, apparently still has trouble getting financing for movies. Um, you know, she admits herself that none of her films are blockbusters. You know, they're not going to make hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office, but I'm pretty sure they would always would have a very decent return on them. But I think what she found with this one in particular was there was a lot of resistance from male studio heads and stuff like that, potentially slightly nervous, or perhaps there was, I think, at times a bit of backlash about the representation of Elvis himself. You know, it is, I think it's fair to say it's probably not the most flattering portrayal of Elvis um but you know this is from you know a very particular viewpoint and I mean I'm actually keen to sort of discuss that I mean there is obviously you know the one element which is the elephant in the room which is the um what I think Sevilla does you know to her credit here it's fairly non-judgmental um but there is an 10-year age gap and at the time of their meeting Elvis was 24 and she was 14 and there are several times when you're kind of Audience, audiences I expect are probably feeling a bit uncomfortable about this whole sort of thing you know back then maybe it wasn't that big a deal I think if you had a, a two people being romantically linked at this day and age um, in social media where one was 14 and one was 24 there would be more opinions probably placed on it um, but I mean what did you make of the representation of of Elvis in this before we get we bring it back round to, to the to yeah. Elvis is someone I, I only kind of know things about really in brush strokes you know I know how he died I know some of his hits you know the the highs and the lows of his career you know the the, the kind of the film industry aspect of his career going off to military service you know fag packet stuff really but I was kind of I kind of just not got round to watching the the Baz Luhrmann film and so on and and you know it's one I own and I'm, I'm keen to definitely watch it but um you know with this one I was I was surprised when when Sophia Coppola mentioned um and I'd, I'd seen it written as well that there was maybe a, a lack of sort of funding to go towards this type of, of film and so on and you know even though I didn't watch the film, it was impossible not to be aware that that was a bit of a breakout film last year. And often you find these things are like, okay, how can we ride the coattails of, of something like that and, and kind of strike strike that kind of Elvis nostalgia? I mean, there's a theatre near me that's doing the, the best of Elvis night with them, some impersonator in a huge theatre of like 8,000 people. So yeah, things like that kind of, I did was surprised at a little bit and even the kind of the age difference, I was, I was very, very surprised by that. And it's, it's weird, you know, I may avoid these trailers sometimes, but you don't avoid the discourse that you can see. And I was surprised to see really none of that in the build up to this film or even in the past week where it's been out in the UK, maybe Saltburn finally arriving on Amazon Prime has swallowed up most of the, the online discourse. And, and about, and, yeah, maybe everyone just got bored of it after the licorice pizza one where everyone just talked about that for years on end every few months and so on. But yeah, I, well, I was really... apparently it's all right if it's a man and a woman and there's that age gap. Heaven forbid it's the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I'm, I was very surprised when that kind of happened. Like in the first thing that she's like 40, I was like, oh, how old, how old is he? And I'm, I'm trying to do the little math because they don't really necessarily say how old he is. So you kind of have to make that kind of judgment yourself. And I, I did like the non-judgment approach of it. Um, that's a different film. And 
the fact that it didn't seem to have a judgment at the, the time and so on, it would have felt disingenuous to make that something that it wasn't publicly or personally at the time. We can have those discussions, but that wasn't the story there to be told. And maybe that says something in itself, but, you know, it was really interesting to see that kind of slice of life of them together and their relationship. I think it really followed that through for really well for a while before perhaps sort of rushing towards the the tail end of it all and so on it was it was interesting to see you know i think the dad of priscilla posed it best like you have every woman in the world throwing themselves at you why would you be attracted to to our daughter and even then it's not in a way of like she's 14 it's like why her you know it's it's very fascinating the the way it approaches that and it certainly sits with you as a as an audience member yeah it's i mean it's sort of the film sort of says i mean since it is based on priscilla's own memoir it is all from her point of view and what she saw as the relationship so yeah i mean it does hint at the parents sort of initial sort of questioning and misgivings around it i mean i think the the only real disco i've seen online about it is that well if i was a parent um, i would never let my child go off to graceland and stuff with a uh a, a rock star and stuff these days and things like that but again you know it was a different time and you know it seems to suggest that you know elvis was respectful of her and apparently you know they maybe did not consummate their relationship until after they married so you know i guess you know that is is something to be to be looked at and but for me i thought it was very sort of interesting and i mean i can see maybe why certain people might have felt that they didn't want to put money into it because you know they have this idea of elvis i mean everyone has an idea of elvis if you were to ask someone to do a portrayal of Elvis based on what we know of him as the public performer, you will get someone like Austin Butler's performance in Elvis. That is the Elvis that everyone thinks that they know from the media. I mean, you've got other portrayals like sort of Kurt Russell's one. You've got, um, I'm going to bit. I think when Elvis came out last year, I said that Austin Butler's one is probably one of the best performances I've ever seen because it's, it's one, the only Elvis I've seen that could naturally have turned into Bruce Campbell's Bubba Hotel Elvis. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always I like the Michael Shannon one in what was it uh, Elvis meets Nixon or or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of the oh, title. Yes, I thought yes. I thought that was a really good one too. I'd forgotten yeah. about Bubba Hotep. Yeah, but they've they've all got a through line that you can see that that is they are all born from the Elvis that we know. Whereas this is the Elvis that we don't. This is the Elvis that Priscilla knew, and that's why you know, Jacob Elordi's performance is very, very different. But for me, it completely works. Um, you know, the, the voice is, it's its not what we would completely expect. You know, it's not the spot on impersonation, which many other people have put on, you know, it's got the accent there, but you know, it's a sort of softer portrayal on that. Um, but then it's also, there's a darkness to, to his one, you know, there's hints of controlling behavior there's you know giving her drugs to help her sleep um you know controlling how she looked in public and stuff like that the sort of manipulation of you know saying he wants to break up and then he doesn't and sort of gaslighting her at times you know there's some horrendous behavior but you know it's all set within this actually i think when i wrote my review i compared it actually very similarly to pablo lorraine spencer in that, you know, this is a woman who was brought into a situation and she's almost sort of like trapped in this sort of empty house at times, um, you know, trapped in the shadow of her husband. And, you know, it's about her trying to find the strength to to escape it, really. Um, I mean, did you notice any sort of parallels between that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I, I suppose you could argue, you know, America doesn't have a, a royal family i mean this goes without saying but they they certainly king, so exactly and how they revere and treat their their celebrities is on par with that i mean similar they're behind these gates and so on and 
what I liked about it was, you know, Elvis as an is a, is an individual and a human being in his own right. But so much of that is performative, from the way someone dresses and interacts, performs to 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 the world, even what he's like around his his friends. And it felt like what I particularly liked about this this film and so on, and was that it was very much about those behind the doors things. You know, it wasn't very little of it was about them going on on dates or on holidays or trips or, or whatever together, which probably does lead into kind of that controlling behavior that she's kept behind closed doors to, to an extent. But that's where you got to see him being at his most kind of realistic warts and all kind of way, you know, where the way they were taking the photos of themselves, which was quite, quite romantic and cute. And then it just ends with sort of a bit of a play fight that goes that little bit too wrong. And I really liked that where it was like, we're just focusing in on this, this period of time, what we, what we maybe didn't see behind those, those doors. And, you know, certainly the media um, coverage probably spoke very much to what life was like outside. And I really liked that and sort of what it must have been like for Priscilla to be basically stuck behind the doors of, of Graceland. She couldn't go and pick, take a, a part-time job if she she wanted to or, you know, was really kind of doing anything other than being able to, to shop and so on. And I find that really, really fascinating. And, you know, that made for the type of story I was more interested in than perhaps a, a quite a broad um, kind of story of her life from beginning to today and, you know, covering being in the Naked Gun films and, you know, being the grandmother to an age. 24 regular you know i liked the the period they focused in on but i do feel they rush things towards the end actually i mean so in terms of your awareness of priscilla i mean i think you sort of maybe mentioned it there i mean was your first exposure to her probably similar to me in the fact and was it her performance her appearance in the naked gun yeah naked gun <laughs> uh that she was the mother more sort of kind of knew more sort of about her her daughter you know sort of her you know her daughter was certainly oh, someone the, lisa marie and the michael jackson sort yeah of stuff and... all that kind of stuff of like and oh <laughs> yeah and just that and just that sort of celebrity culture around her sort of daughter and then again sort of you know whether she you know she was the wife to Elvis she was this daughter to this celebrity etc you know her story seems to have kind of fallen through the the cracks a a little bit you know she's been overshadowed by her you know, a former husband and sort of her kind of daughter which is quite a fascinating way to find herself in yeah, because I know that um, sort of at the Q&A as well, there was a couple of sort of things that came up. One was, you know, the fact that apparently, you know, this film had clearly gone ahead with, you know, Priscilla's blessing. You know, Sophia had phoned her up and asked her, you know, would I be able to make this film? You know, I will write the script. You can have a look at the script. If there's anything you're not happy with, you know, then we'll work around that. You know, they talked about the... You know, he talks about that moment with the the photographs and the and the Polaroids and stuff like that, and that was something that came up apparently out of a discussion. It wasn't in the book, um, just one of the, sort of the meetings he had. And she's like, and Sophia was like, "Do you have any of those Polaroids?" And Priscilla just sort of smiled and went, "No." And then would could you at least sort of tell me what was in them? And she just went, "Secretary." <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. So she used that as the, the inspiration for that scene. But then apparently there was, sort of, once the film had been finished, there was apparently a rather angry letter that had been sent by sort of Lisa Marie, I think very sort of scared and, and worried about, I guess, how it was going to portray her father and stuff like that. But, you know, some would argue maybe potentially, you know, justly, you know, worried about that. Um, but unfortunately, um, that issue was unable to be resolved before her death um sadly but you know it's it's interesting that you know this is it's all about you know it's it's her story and it's about putting that forward and you know she is at at the forefront of of the movie and you know in order to do that you do need a, a very strong actress and you know this is you know a, a tour de force i think for for kaylee spenny i mean she's someone that I wasn't really familiar with going in, but then having recently caught um, just part of uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, it turns out that she was in that um, as one of the sort of um, co-leads along with John Baker. So there you go. Um, and, but, you know, she won Best Actress at Venice. You know, um, I think it's a very good performance. I think if the system 
I think the system was potentially rigged in that Damien Chazelle could not award Best Actress to his friend Emma Stone, who he directed in La La Land. But I think this was a very excellent choice uh, as well, because I think she's got a wonderful sort of ethereal beauty to her that works for the role. But in a snap of a finger, you can she can basically go back just with a look in her face that's, that indicates that she is still a child um, in this situation. And I thought it was a really, really strong performance from her. What did you make of this star-making turn? I was the, the same. I, when I looked at sort of her IMDb afterwards, I was like, oh, I've kind of, oh yeah, she was in that, as that little child or, or things like that. And yeah, she has that kind of presence where she looks so physically small and young. And I think that works really well to, to the film's effect. I mean, that's something we kind of have seen through through count, countless kind of Sofia Coppola films, sort of these young characters, whether it's Virgin Suicides, Somewhere, Bling Ring, Beguiled, etc. So it felt kind of quite natural, but I felt like that really kind of, again, showed that sort of difference in dynamic where, again, it's not passing the judgment, it's just there on the screen for you, for you to, to think about and reflect on, where you have someone kind of like that kind of, you know, the Elvis, you know, sort of played by, by Jacob Elrody, where you're kind of like, he's quite tall, got kind of huge presence and so on, and she does look quite dwarf she does look really young as well in it and i think that really sort of worked well to again telling that story through sort of that visual medium of, of casting that i think we we could all agree sophia coppola does does so well i was i was really impressed and and really excited to see what she she does next it's nice to have you know surprises of people really kind of essentially coming out of nowhere and you start to feel like okay i'm curious to see what she she does next i thought she did so well in this as well and you know I, it was great to see that kind of strengthen that character grow as the the film went on yeah it's it's weird thinking about it now in that sort of thinking about another sort of relationship in the Sofia Coppola movie where there was a huge age gap and i'm just thinking lost in translation here where you know, Bill Murray was in his what mid fifties by that point, and Scarlett Johansson was, I think, maybe what, sort of seventeen, eighteen at the time. Yet, looking back on that film, it's like it feels like Scarlett Johansson's character was older in that, or she had a more old soul in that. Whereas here, I'm pretty sure Kelly Spinney was older than Scarlett Johansson when she filmed this, but she just has a younger look to her and the way she plays it is much more childlike and innocent to her that yeah it feels like there's a larger age gap almost between between her and Elvis and this than there was in Lost Organization. I think it's just down to sort of probably the writing and the and the acting in it as well. And I mean Jacob Elordi, you know, he's you know, we've obviously talked about him a lot uh, when we did the sort of podcast episodes on Euphoria and stuff like that. Um but he's probably sort of the man at the moment at the at this point in time you know he's just Saltburn has come has been out for uh, a couple of months but it's also hit prime just before christmas um and people have opinions uh it's impossible not to have opinions there's memes um it's just one of those movies where it's like yeah you know it's like um i think what was it i saw a letterbox review was it so so ryan bryant who said um Jacob Elordi is so hot in this movie, it drives everyone else insane. So, <laughs> um, and I mean, he certainly has a presence, you know, when you, you need someone with a presence, if you, you know, in order to play Elvis. And Sophie Coppola was looking around, had been recommended Jacob, so she met him in a restaurant and apparently just, all it really took was, you know, they had a good conversation about the film anyway, but it was just seeing the reaction of, young girls to his presence in that restaurant have you seen the video of his of her daughters yeah absolutely brilliant (laughs) isn't it yeah and it's like no we're doing we're shooting here maybe afterwards (laughs) it's like yeah it's just like oh mom what's the point of you being a director if we can't meet jacob elordi and for god's sake but yeah no i thought he was fantastic in this and yeah it's he is he is a, a real sort of star as well and i think yeah he's he's only got a bright future ahead of him as well i think um it's it's very different to what he's i mean actually i guess actually in some ways it, i was about to say they're all different but actually all of his roles do have a similar quality in that people are just essentially drawn to him you know in the roles you know 
Saltburn, you know, um, he draws people in into his world, you know, to be obsessed with him. You know, Elvis's people just are drawn to him. And I guess actually, you know, a lot of the girls in the Euphoria were drawn to him uh, for better or worse than yeah, that as well. Absolutely, so. yeah. And I, I I, wasn't blown away by his performance really in, in Saltburn. And, you know, it's not a film. I'm on the opposite side. I, I didn't think it was a, a great film at all, really. Um, but you look at him and you go, oh, he's, there's something there. But having seen, I think I'd have been a bit more cynical about him had I not seen Euphoria. And he stands out so well in, in that show and amongst a lot of, you start to see it now, obviously the the gap between Euphoria season two and three is growing and growing by the day. And so much of these actors, you know, from from him to Sidney Sweeney to, to Zendaya to... Um, Maud Apatow, who I saw on stage uh, a couple months ago, like they're going on to bigger and bigger things and so on. And I just thought he was fantastic in, in that. And you can imagine maybe as good as the, the show is, in my opinion, I know it's certainly got its flaws and detractors. You can imagine a lot of them would just are, would, wouldn't be complaining if the show just sort of had come to a, a natural conclusion, especially after um, sort of Angus Cloud's passing as, as well and so on. It's just... It's so exciting to see that that kind of cast that we've kind of followed from quite the early days, not the kissing booth, certainly, but from from those early episodes of Euphoria go on to to great things. And I like how I think one of the things that seemed to go against the film was them not being able to use the the Elvis music. I mean, that's how Mubi ended up with it. Mubi were uh, Sony were like, oh, you're not going to get the rights to the Elvis picture, uh, the Elvis music. Hey, we don't care about problematic age gaps, whatever, but you don't get the music. Okay, forget it. It's back for sale, which obviously hints at why there was a, a delay and so on. But I think even just like something like that has just made sure that, you know, Elvis was sort of in the the kind of the back it was never the music wasn't going to overthrow things and even just these songs they're songs now you associate with priscilla priscilla in the movie as opposed to elvis's songs kind of being the influence over it which i think again just little small touches that i think worked in its favor yeah no because you know you were talking earlier about the fact that you saw it on 35 mil and how that medium worked for the look and the feel of the film it did feel like a sort of timeless period classic yet you've got to balance that out against the fact that the soundtrack you know as Sophie Coppola does you know she will take songs from any period of time and put them into a film if it works for the film and you know she does that here you know there's a mixture between sort of classic music of the era and sort of modern sort of pop songs laid over to sort of I guess give people a glimpse into well this is what a teenage girl would have potentially been sort of listening to and it helps connect the teenagers of the day with the teenage Priscilla back in that yeah. um and it's I mean, similar to uh, Marie Antoinette and I, I it's crazy when you think about it like what you think of that film did with like modern pop songs and so on people were like at the time like oh this is really unique I don't know how we think about something like this and it works really well here, where again the ch- songs are are quite timeless in a way. They're songs of the time, not of the time. And I think that's a, a re- it's such a good touch as well. And again, just sort of brings its own unique soundtrack. And it's not just a period piece, but like a what you associate sometimes with uh, Sofia Coppola, a bit of a, a tone piece as well. Yeah, and you know, I was really got that we ran out of time at the Q and A because I did have a question lined up, but it was basically going to be asking about two very specific needle drops and one for me was at the moment where Elvis proposes to Priscilla they use the main theme from Terence Malick's Badlands a film which features a man in his 20s mid-20s absconding with a young girl in her teens um, where things do not work out particularly well for the couple and I thought that was a rather pointed reference to uh, the potential doomed fatality of their relationship. And the other one was uh, the fact that this was the second 2023 film where a woman's identity, independence and agency are threatened by an insecure man who struts around to the disco version of also Sprach Zestura. Um, The other one, of course, being Barbie, um, where that song was used as Ken suddenly discovers uh, the world of patriarchy. Um, which is more than just about horses. So <laughs> there you go. You've blown my mind with that. <laughs> so I guess um, that sort of uh, brings us to the final 
sort of um, moments in the film. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you know, it's I think it's it's common knowledge that um, the couple did divorce, <laughs> and um, the final moments uh, feature um, Priscilla leaving Graceland um, to the tune of Dolly Parton's "I Will Always Love You." Yes, people, Whitney Houston do not actually do it first. It was a Dolly Parton song first. Even if you watch The Bodyguard, you'll have heard the Dolly Parton version first. Um, but uh, Sophia talked about the fact that this song is not only a liberating one from you know using a woman's voice, um, but the fact that Dolly Parton refused to sell Elvis the rights to this song. He wanted to record it himself, um, but she refused to to, to sell him the rights um, and kept a hold of them, which was a very wise choice in her because you know she would have made a pretty penny following the bodyguard as well. Um, so I thought that was a nice um, sort of bookend to to the story as well. I mean, what did you make of those sort of final moments? Yeah, that's where it felt just that little bit rushed and so on, where maybe, you know, I'm often of the things that some of these things can be a bit bloated, self-indulgent, but, you know, I, I felt this film, I wouldn't have complain with an extra 20 odd minutes or so where it just felt that sort of time of sort of things unraveling sort of that fat elvis era was just like oh, oh this this seems really interesting oh we're kind of racing through it racing through it um you know we it felt like it was really well paced sort of the the beginning and sort of that really middle strong part of their relationship and everything that was going on with it but then as it got towards those final years it really i think the the it felt like harder to, to grapple for like where are we in this sort of timeline and giving it kind of its its full juice which was a little bit frustrating and just kind of really stopped it being you know what could have been a, a five out of five for me yeah um yeah no i i totally get that yeah the sort of the final act is i guess a little bit rushed in terms of you there's maybe not you maybe needed a couple more moments of her coming to that realization um whereas this one it does really feel like um it reminds me it reminded me of the film closer where natalie portman just sort of goes to jail at the end um uh, i don't love you anymore it's over goodbye and that's it and that's it she walks off and that's the relationship over it's just like yeah i don't love you anymore it's over goodbye um but you yeah, know i mean i did i did really like that final moment but i can i totally understand where you're coming from uh for me this is a four-star film as well um and yet it's potentially just slightly, ever so slightly rushed uh, during the final act. Um, but if you are looking for more of sort of like Fat Elvis than um, Vegas Phase, then definitely um, stick on Baz Luhrmann's Elvis um, in the next couple of days and you'll get your fill of that, I expect. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that. Yeah. So that brings us to uh, the end of our Priscilla episode. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, for the first one of 2024. Um, we've got a great year ahead. Um, like we said, um, there'll be a double bill uh, sort of towards the start of February with Zone of Interest and the Iron Claw. Um, but before that, we'll try and uh, drop a couple more episodes um, as we catch up on the likes of Earth Mama and Medusa Deluxe as well. Um, but uh, thanks as always uh, for joining us on the A24 project and here's to a great 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.